Hello, everyone, and welcome to Success Shorts. I'm Aurel Chanel. Today, we're joined by Dave Ferreira. Dave is an engineer, entrepreneur, inventor, and advisor with a ton of experience in the medical devices industry, where he successfully developed products, founded companies, and managed them from concept all the way through either going public or being acquired. He's currently general partner at Quantum Fund OC, which is a venture studio that directs its investments into catheter-based diagnostic and interventional radiology technologies. Needless to say, Dave and I have a fascinating conversation around problem solving and innovation that I think that you're going to get a lot out of, because I know I learned a lot during this one. So I hope you enjoy our time with Dave Ferreira. Let's go. Dave, so here we are, second attempt at this after last time we had some difficulties. So I appreciate your patience and it's really great to have this time to sit down and chat. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm really excited to get into your background and everything you've accomplished so far. But I'd love to kind of start things out by hearing about what have you learned about yourself through what you do professionally during this really kind of crazy, volatile COVID period? You know, I was never a person that utilized a lot of video conferencing, although we were working with our parent company, which was headquartered just outside of Paris. And I think I did five or six all last year, and I probably do eight to 10 a week now. So I learned how much more efficient we can be in communicating and just meeting new people by being open to this new technology of video conferencing. Because being able to find a way to communicate and uh, stay in touch with either physicians or potential investors or even team members through the, the new technology of video conferencing. And that came in very helpful because I kind of changed my role at the end of May, early June. I left the company that I was at who acquired a company I co-founded and I formed a new venture studio and also a new investment fund. So I would say since June until now, I probably pitched well over a hundred potential investors and probably Three of those were in person in our office. The rest were all Zoom, FaceTime. So you have to be able to adapt. And myself and my team, we were able to do that. So becoming flexible, being efficient, embracing technology uh, is something that we did. And I think it's made us much more efficient. So, I mean, you are definitely someone with an innovative mind. And you've, but when you think about like this technology and how it's impacted you, do you see yourself kind of going back to that? older model or sticking with where you're at now or maybe looking at it from more of a hybrid as things begin to reopen? I think in years past, we traveled so much because that's kind of the way things were, right? And it was expensive. It was expensive to travel. You know, it was just time away from the office, time away from your family. And if you're traveling internationally, you're tired with jet lag. And you're really traveling for three or four days to have one or two important meetings that may only take three hours. So we're being very selective now as to how and when we travel and why we travel. I do think most of my customers who are primarily physicians, they're more apt to get on a video conference call to be able to, uh, you know, discuss problems physicians have and come up with solutions and, and you know, and just brainstorm. Those are things that you can do on a, a video conference. So we're going to be very selective as to when and why we travel, which is going to save us you know, a lot of time and money. So it's definitely going to be a hybrid moving forward. And it's something that I'm perfectly okay with. 
Yeah, I think that that's something that hopefully that we're going to see because there was a lot of waste that was built into not just when it comes to travel for work, but I, th- I want to say everything. And this was a really nice opportunity if you want to look for a silver lining and all. Yeah, of I it, believe that. Yeah. To have a really strong reset and, yeah, and allow us to kind of look at what do we need in our lives and what don't we and what can we be doing differently? And I think that's really going to get to what we're going to be talking about today because as I'm briefly mentioned is, I mean, you have this really great record with startups. You're a thinker and a doer all mixed into one, which isn't always the case. I mean, you've had several acquisitions, you have a ton of patents, <laughs> like your, your track record is really something special and it's just loaded with creativity and problem solving, which leads to innovation. So to kind of kick things off, you know, how did you foster these traits early on to become such a, an innovative force? Well, we, we talked earlier about, you know, you're a football player. I was a baseball player. You know, those are team sports. It isn't like you started playing football in college. You've been playing your whole life as I have been playing baseball my whole life. And I think you understand when you're playing on a team, there's, you know, football. There's 11 people on the field. On baseball, you have nine. You need every one of those athletes on the field to do a job. And business is the same thing. You know, I learned from working on teams that everybody has a role, they all have a seat, they all have a skill, and they're all good at one or two things. They're not good at everything. So based on my experience playing team sports, that's how I looked at business. And in the medical device field, you know, you always have the engineers that are designing and developing products. You have assemblers that can take the ideas that the engineers have and they can actually create and make the product. You have the regulatory and quality team that then takes that design and they submit it to the regulatory agencies such as the FDA or or to get C-Mark. Then you have the manufacturing team that once the device is made and it, it passes all the testing, they can scale it and manufacture it. Then you have the sales team that has the customer relationships. They're the ones at the hospital selling the devices. So, you know, each one of those areas I just explained is really a specialty. Like you have on a sports field, you got a quarterback, you got a a center, you have a wide receiver, they all do certain things differently and they do them extremely well. The team I'm with now, I've been working with them since 2007 on three different companies. That's 07 is when we started Mindframe, which was an ischemic stroke device. And then we had that acquired by Covidian. And then we started Blockade Medical, where we made devices like brain aneurysms, they were embolization cores. And that was acquired by uh, Balt in 2016. And now we've just left the form of Event Studio which is going to be a series of different companies that are uh, product-based from physician problems. But each one of those uh, products that we've identified, they need to be designed and developed. They need to be assembled. They need to be tested, get approval. They need to be commercialized. So we're using the same team that we worked with you know, over a decade ago to do those steps and contribute. And each, each one of those steps, it creates value. And at the end of the day, hopefully they all get acquired by a, by a strategic and then we just do it again. But we each have our own special role, just like athletes on a sports team would. I really like that comparison. And I want to kind of go down what you're doing right now. And that's you went off and you've created a venture studio. And to me, that's actually a really neat concept. But I was wondering if you can like kind of just go down that a little bit and tell us about what does that actually look like? Yeah, the Venture Studio is very different than these incubators or accelerator models that we've all heard of. 
you know, incubators and accelerators are, are still a fantastic business. They are still focusing on solving problems, but it, it's a lot of research. And the Venture Studio, it's a concept that I think was developed about 30 years ago. There was a group in Pasadena that were entrepreneurs in tech. And this group of colleagues had developed several products. They got them to market. They had acquisitions. And they decided, you know, rather than doing one product idea in series after that, you know, they just do one, 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 one. Let's do several of these in parallel. And they own their own footprint, which we own our own footprint. So we own a contract manufacturing company that has other, other customers. So we already have the facility that has certain technology there. In our case, we have technology that we can use to make catheters and make delivery systems and make devices to treat aneurysms and ischemic stroke. So we already have the footprint there. So each time we have a new product idea, if we stay in our lane, stay in radiology, we already have the personnel and the equipment and technology to make it. So rather than doing one company at a time, we decided let's do several. We're only staying in our field in radiology. So if it's catheter-based, if it requires a stent, a coil, a delivery system, those are areas of expertise that we have. And most of the time when you're on a project, there tends to be downtime here and there. You could be waiting for a supplier to, to actually send you components to assemble. If you have downtime, then you could spend that downtime with other projects. So we've done just that. We've realized what the bandwidth of our team is, and we have several engineers and several assemblers. We realize the feeder system we have with all the things that we know that are in radiology that always have problems. And we identify the problems and really determine, can we get a patent on it? Is it a growing market? Is there something similar to that in the field that this is better than? If that's the case, is there a reimbursement code? Because if you make a medical device and you want to bring it to the market, if there's not a reimbursement code set up by the government, then the hospital is not going to pay for it. So we make sure that these are reimbursable, but they also have to have a solution that is, is simple and somewhat easy to do. So we've taken all those traits of the product, the market, the technology that we're very comfortable with manufacturing, and it's all under one roof. That's our studio. And then the venture part is we're also raising money. So a key component of, of our venture studio is having an investment fund. And we have an advisor who's working with us in Orange County. He's, he's the head of a family office. So we've been pitching to you know several colleagues of his, not just in Orange County, but also around the country and raising this venture fund. So any idea that we believe will be a solution to a problem a physician has, we can fund that immediately through the investment fund that we've created. A very important part is that we're also bringing these to the marketplace. So our team will also do the commercialization. We're also doing this with the strategics in mind. So our competitors are Johnson & Johnson, Mentronic, Stryker. We've already informed them of what our product portfolio looks like. And they're interested. So each of the companies that we've already spoken to, they have an interest in the products that we're designing and developing. So when we get to the marketplace and we do our first demand evaluations or we do our limited market release, they're going to be aware of it. And we know that it's, it's not technology that they've developed. It may be technology that's an incremental advantage over something they already have. So they're going to be keen to look at it. And if they like it and the physicians like it, then that's an opportunity to have an exit. So... The Venture Studio's sole purpose is to solve problems 
with solutions that are easy to use and they're also innovative, get to market, commercialize, and have an exit. And if we can't do all of those and get to market and have an exit, then that would be a failure. So we got to be very careful of the technology that we bring to market, the solution that we solve. And if we can do that the right way, then we should be successful. That's really interesting. So your competition doesn't necessarily have the exit. They're going to be the sustainable force that services and keeps the technology living. The big difference between you and them is you have every intention at some point to actually get out of it. Yeah, 100%. That's really neat. So your initial innovation was born out of a very personal, somewhat serious situation. Would you mind kind of telling us about what that innovation was going back to your early engineering days and how you allowed that to transform your thoughts and the direction that you went in? When I was in college, this is in the late 80s, my grandfather had an ischemic stroke and the stroke uh, came about from a surgery he had called a carotid endoterectomy where a neurosurgeon would actually cut into your, your carotid artery in your neck and remove plaque. And this is a, a very common procedure even today. Helps to restore blood flow into your neck, and then it goes into your uh, brain. That surgery resulted in a piece of plaque going north and lodging in his right middle cerebral artery. And this is in 89. And back then in the 80s, there wasn't a treatment for ischemic stroke. I can remember going to visit older relatives who were in nursing homes, and they had strokes. They survived, but they were usually paralyzed on one side of their body. Some could speak, some couldn't speak. My, my grandfather had a right MCA occlusion. He could speak. Speech comes from the left side of your brain. Thought and reasoning, though, comes from the right side. And since he had an occlusion in the right side of his brain, he was confused. He didn't really know who we were, why he was there. And although he could see us, he was just confused and scared. The neurologist caring for him said, there's nothing we can do. We don't have a procedure that can go into his brain and remove this occlusion and restore blood flow, but it's already been too late. He's already not had oxygen to that part of his brain for several hours now. And, and if we were to take the occlusion out, it actually may cause a hemorrhage. So he knew I was studying engineering, probably from talking to my father. And he said, hey, maybe you could look at a field in healthcare. There's new technologies and medical devices that are now being developed. Maybe that's something you should look into. So with that in mind, I got an internship at a company in Billerick, a mass called USCI, and they were making angioplastic catheters to treat heart disease. Before those were developed, you would have to have a procedure called a cabbage, a coronary artery bypass graft, where they would take a vein from your leg and they would suture the vein across your heart from one healthy artery to the other, bypassing the occluded artery that's in the heart. And engineers at USCI said, hey, let's just put a micro balloon onto a catheter and let's put it into that occluded artery and let's inflate it. And that's where, where PTCA became invented, which is called percutaneous transluminal angioplasty. I got an internship at that company in 89 and 90. When I graduated in 91, um, it wasn't a job for me there. So I ended up taking a job at a startup in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and I made catheters for a company called Impra. My, my, my project was a um, subclavian dialysis catheter where you would put a, a dual lumen catheter into your subclavian artery in your, in your shoulder and you could do a, a blood transfusion. I, I learned how to make catheters there. I worked on teams that got them to market. I then got recruited to go work for Boston Scientific. So I went back across the country to, to actually live in Massachusetts and 
Then I was working on catheters there, and some of them were neurocatheters, and they were infusion catheters that we used to either deliver saline contrast or a certain type of uh, medication. It was there that I met an older Chinese scientist named Jim Wong, and he would tell me, hey, the future of this healthcare is going to be stroke. Then I was like, hey, that's how my grandfather died. And he, he explained the two types of strokes, the hemorrhagic stroke, which is a bleed, which is usually caused by, say, a brain aneurysm, or there's an ischemic stroke, which is caused by an occlusion. That's how my grandfather had died. And he said, right now, there's not a therapy for either one or a good therapy. And in 1997, I received the phone call from a recruiter where a physician and a, a business guy were looking for an engineer to partner with them to co-found a company to make an embolization coil to treat a hemorrhagic stroke, which was to be used to be put into aneurysms. And I mean, I, I knew catheters and I knew product development, but that's something I'd never done before. But I said, hey, let's do this. So that's in 97 was when I, I co-founded my first company in the hemorrhagic stroke field. I probably wouldn't have gotten that far had I didn't speak to a neurologist eight years earlier when my grandfather passed away. And it wasn't until 2007 that I co-founded MindFrame, which made an ischemic stroke device, which would have been something that could have been used on my grandfather. So it took 18 years, but I, I finally was able to design and develop a product with a team and get it to market to help people that have ischemic strokes. It took a while, but you got there. And one of the really neat things about that story is I think a lot of people think about innovation as, you know, kind of ideas that come out of nowhere in a way that come to really smart people that then know how to execute it. But when you think about it, you were introduced to this concept. And then over the course of the next decade plus, you honed your skills to the point where you were exceptionally proficient in a very specialized area. And then once you had that proficiency, that part almost became habitual because you put in so many hours. You think of like the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour rule. Like the big thing about that is that frees up your mind to use your specialty in a different way. And then so you transitioned to coming back to this problem that had originally been posed so long ago. And I think that's a really neat thing to look back at and be like, wow, you were able to do this because you became so adept and so successful within the inner workings of this very specialized area. I mean, with that in mind, I think we're all kind of capable of innovating in our own lives a lot more than we give ourselves credit to. Um, and we're not going to necessarily go out and create the uh, solution to ischemic stroke. But when you think about for the listener out there and they're thinking about, wow, this is a really exceptional human who has a great brain and has been able to achieve all these things, how can they begin to integrate and approach innovation differently in their own lives? Well, you got to start with identifying problems. I've been part of companies where they have these great engineers that come up with great technology. So they already have a solution without a problem. They go out and try to adapt whatever they've developed and try to solve something. You know, you really got to be looking for problems that are everyday things that lots of people have. If you have a problem that your neighbor has and no one else on the street has that problem, that's not really a problem. That's only one person's, you know, issue. You know, identifying problems is one thing. Then seeing the size of the problem, looking at the market is a way to kind of validate the problem. And then trying to come up with solutions that would solve the problem and somewhat are easy to do or easy to implement. And then can you get a patent on that? 
what's the cost to bring it to market? So that's how I think. And I've, I've been trained to think that way over the 30 years that I've been developing products. But, you know, you really have to start with having an open mind and be curious and understand why things don't work that well. Can there be a better way to do it? If you think about this in our own lives, even on a very mm-hmm. localized level, if we want to take it away from uh, innovation with the end goal of creating a product, we could even just use it as you know, an opportunity to look at our lives a little bit differently and innovate ways to improve it on the very base level. I think there's so many different ways to look at innovation because innovation in the end, the goal is to improve something, solve a problem and and to make life better. So if you see something that's going wrong, don't necessarily go at it as if you have the solution right away. Try to really understand what's happening there and then go from there. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, I think diagnosing the root cause is something that we sometimes skip. We try to put a quick patch on things, but there's a greater opportunity to do something more there. So, Dave, this was a lot of fun and getting into an area that I know very little about. And I feel like I learned something today. So this has been great. Oh, great. Good to hear that. Awesome. So thanks for joining us. And that's all we have for this episode of Success Shorts. Hopefully you found today's topic useful. And remember, have fun, stay curious, and keep it short.